This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. Hello and welcome to this podcast. I'm Jessie Basra, a lawyer in the employment team. Today, I'm going to be talking to my colleagues, tax lawyer Hugh Gunson and employment lawyer Emma Bartlett. We're going to be discussing the changes which are coming into force next April to the off-payroll working rules, commonly known as IR35. Hugh, do you want to say a brief introduction to the work you've been doing on IR35? Yes, thank you very much, Jesse. So uh, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm a tax lawyer. My specialism is contentious tax matters, so disputes and investigations with HMRC. And sort of over the last couple of years or so, I've been doing, I've been doing lots of work on IR35. That's both helping out clients who have historic investigations and appeals with the revenue on the kind of probably on the contractor side, but also advising businesses, particularly in the last um, sort of year or so, in their preparations for the upcoming changes to the rules. Great, thanks you. And Emma, would you like to also give us a brief overview of the work that you've done in, in this area? Thanks, Jesse. Yes, I'm a partner in the employment team here. My clients have mainly been asking us about what they need to do to prepare. So I'm hoping that the answers will come out in the podcast today. Great, thank you. And so just to give you a bit of an overview of what we're going to be talking about, as many of you will be aware, these rules and changes were due to come into force in April this year, but postponed for 12 months in recognition of the impact the COVID-19 pandemic was having on businesses. Uh, Briefly, the reforms already implemented in the public sector will affect all medium and large private sector organisations that engage individual contractors through personal service companies or PSEs and represent a major change and potentially a major compliance issue. The IR35 rules are basically designed to catch employment relationships which are disguised through PSEs. Currently, if IR35 applies, the worker is deemed to be in receipt of a payment of earnings and the PAYE obligations fall on the PSE. However, from April 2021, the client will be responsible for assessing the employment status for tax purposes of those individuals, i.e. would that individual be regarded as an employee for tax purposes if their services were provided directly under a contract between him or her and the client? If the answer is yes, the fee payer, i.e. whoever pays the PSE, will be required to operate PAYE. The new rules have also introduced the concept of a status determination statement, which will be required for every engagement potentially within the scope of IR35. The statement must be made by the client and they must take reasonable care in coming to their conclusions about the individual's employment status. HMRC is promoting their Check Employment Status for Tax Services, or CEST as it's also known. This is an online tool for helping make these determinations. I'm now going to ask Hugh and Emma some of the issues and practical concerns arising as a result of these new rules. So the first question, what should employers and or HR be doing now from a practical point of view to prepare for April 2021? As you say, medium and large employers in the private sector that contract with personal service companies for the provision of workers' services will have to account for tax and national insurance through PAYE in the same way as public sector have been doing it since 2017. These are called the off-payroll working rules. And the question of whether a worker may be deemed an employee must be considered if the contract for the supply of his services through an intermediary service provider meets the following conditions. 
either it is a company in which the worker has a material interest that's more than five percent shares or more than five percent voting rights or alternatively it's a partnership of which the worker is a member and is entitled whether alone or jointly to at least 60% of profits or sharing profits are linked to payments under the contract. And the majority of the partnership income derives from provision of services to a single client and its associates. Alternatively, the worker is an individual. The intermediary will normally be a PSC, but maybe employment business, or there may be a chain of intermediaries. These employers will therefore need to identify which contracting entities are potentially within the off-payroll working regime. And the employer will need to request each worker providing services through a PSC or other intermediary to confirm whether one or more of those relevant conditions applies to them. And a response is required from the worker or the employment business within 30 days. Early dialogue and identification with the existing contracts is therefore strongly advised. Assuming a worker meets one or more of the conditions, the employer must then consider the nature of the work and review the employment status of relevant workers. The obligation for determining employment status lies with the end user. There is no obligation to use the HMRC check on employment status for tax tool, but assessed outcome says that the worker would be deemed an employee. The deemed employer must then operate PAYE for the worker. Key factors in the determination are whether there is a right of substitution, what remuneration is paid or fees are paid under the contract with the intermediaries, and who has the responsibility for correcting mistakes. These are slightly different tests to the standard employment worker status test from the employment tribunals. An office holder, other than a statutory auditor, will be classed as a deemed employee. The employer must take reasonable care when making its determination and all due care and attention, as set out in HMRC guidance of 27th February 2020. A higher degree of care will be expected from a large multinational company with its own internal finance function than a much smaller entity. An example of reasonable care will be using CEST correctly to determine the status or taking advice from a qualified professional or having someone with a good understanding of the work to be undertaken involved in the determination process. An example of not taking reasonable care is designating all contractors as deemed employees without making any individual assessment. Or alternatively, if you've input accurate information into CEST, the employer must, in any event, provide notification to the worker and if there's an employment business, the employment business of the outcome of the review. The notice is called a status determination statement and must set out certain prescribed particulars. And then the deemed employer must also introduce a process from with effect from 6 April 2021 to consider any disagreement in relation to the SDS with the worker or the relevant employment business. Hugh, do you have any additional thoughts on that? Yeah, thanks very much, Jesse. There are a few other things that businesses might wish to consider doing by way of preparation for these new rules that are uh, perhaps at a more kind of macro or, or operational level. For example, once they've carried out the audit the assessment of their contractor workforce, as Emma's just described, your businesses may wish to you know, make an overall assessment of the, the financial impact of the new rules, amend their budgets appropriately, and perhaps consider the impact on sort of fees paid to contractors. It may also be advisable to do a more general sort of review of internal systems and onboarding processes to build into that an IR35 assessment for each contractor that's taken on going forward, as well as also making sure kind of operationally that the payroll can cope with sort of processing payments made under PAYE to non-natural persons. Another thing that I'll sort of touch upon briefly now, but we'll, we'll come on to later on in the podcast is whether 
sort of standard form contractor kind of agreements might need to, to be reviewed and amended in light of the new rules as well as also whether to build in a regular IR35 review for all engagements with contractors because uh, sort of as a basic matter an IR35 assessment is not a one-time only thing it's 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 sort of fluid and ongoing and it needs to be considered by references to the circumstances at a particular time and the position at the outset might well change over time as someone's role develops and so a new assessment may need to be made and, and just finally one other thing that is perhaps worth considering for businesses and this is based in part on kind of experience we've seen in the market in the in the run-up to April of earlier this year when the rules were originally meant to take force is whether to take a kind of business commercial decision of whether to engage PSCs at all. Refusing to engage with PSCs could be quite a blunt sort of way of dealing with these rules but it is an approach that we are aware that a number of organizations you know in particular those with with large numbers of contractors are actually taking so you know that that perhaps is something something also worth considering in preparation. Great thank you for that um, Emma and Hugh so I guess the next thing is are there any exemptions to the rules? In short the answer is is no the, the main sort of exemption if if it can be called that is for small companies or groups because the new rules in the private sector only apply to medium or, or large size businesses and there are tests for determining whether something is medium or large by reference to the organizational group's turnover balance sheet and number of employees if you pass that initial kind of gateway test and you are of a sufficient size then there, there aren't really any exemptions the business will need to prepare for, carry out the assessment and comply with the rules with respect to all of its engagements with relevant contractors. There are also points around international businesses who have operations in the UK and UK businesses who have engagements with people who do work overseas, where you may end up concluding that actually some of the engagements are outside the scope. But the rules here, as ever with anything sort of international tax rate, it can be complex and really require further consideration uh, on a kind of case by case basis. Thanks, Hugh. Um, so in respect of the HMRC CES tool, how reliable is that tool in determining employment status? Um, and what if the client or contractor disagrees with the result? That's a good question. I'm sure one that, that many people have been, have been asking. Just taking the, the first limb of that as to the reliability of CES, it's fair to say that it, it has been recently updated in preparation for the changes in the rules. So it is better than it, it was historically. But it does still remain the case that it's quite complex. There are lots of questions that require lots of information and also, in many ways, an understanding of some of the case law decisions that drive some of the questions. And it, it, it still doesn't fully take account of all relevant case law in the tax sphere, particularly around the mutuality of obligation limb that is relevant for em employment status. Another point that has also been made is that it often that often doesn't deal that well with the marginal cases, which clearly is where people will actually be looking for the most guidance. But so to be that as it may, for any business or HR department doing an audit of a contractor workforce, it is certainly a very good starting point. And it's certainly what the revenue are directing people towards, whether that is the assessment is done by reference to assess only or sort of set as an initial first go, you know, combined with um, specific advice on particular cases, that those would all be good options. But if the tool is used, it would then be that much easier for a business to demonstrate to the revenue if it ever came to it that you know, reasonable care has been taken and reasonable steps have been taken to comply with the rules. On your question as to whether or not there is a way of dealing with disputes if the client or the contractor disagrees, 
It is an obligation on the organisation to put in place a dispute resolution process when they notify the status determination to the worker. If the worker disagrees, the deemed employer's obligation is going to be to consider the reasons given by the worker or their employment business, if that's appropriate, to decide whether to maintain its determination or to provide a new determination. They must also keep a record of the determinations that they make and reasons for them, as well as the representations that they've made. And then they have to confirm which date their determination is valid from. So whilst a dispute is ongoing, the initial determination that was notified under the status determination will be the one that applies. So if they've said that the worker should be a deemed employee, then they should be operating PAYE until the uh, dispute has been resolved to the contrary, if that's the way it's going to go. The deemed employer must, however, respond to the worker if the worker has disagreed within 45 days. But Hugh, do you want to say something more about what if the company is deemed an employer and they disagree with CEST's determination? How difficult is it to come away from that? I mean, I suppose as a basic matter, if, if it sort of seems a really odd result, then one thing might be just to reconsider the inputs and, and sort of do the test again, just to check there's been no error on that side. But if one does that and that's all fine, it's probably worth noting CEST isn't strictly binding as such. It's just an HMRC guidance tool. But HMRC do say that if you have inputted all the information correctly, then they will stand by the result. So from an employer's perspective, it's going to be quite difficult in practice to go against the result given by the CES tool, if you're confident that you've put, put all the information in correctly. And so you'd have to think quite hard about doing that. And that would be particularly the case where the CES tool gives the result that the, the relevant contractual worker is inside IR35, so that there would be a PAYE obligation. You'd again, if that's the case, you'd need very good reasons. You'd, you'd need to think about it carefully to disregard that, because you then would effectively not be operating PAYE in a scenario where you've got a strong indication that you should be. And that's the sort of thing that the revenue not take very lightly at all if it came out in the context of an investigation. Great. Thanks, both. Um, so what we have in some instances is contractors who work for lots of clients. Um, in those cases, does that mean that they are automatically outside of IR35? Unfortunately, sort of determinations of employment status are, you know, very fact sensitive. So what it is quite hard to do is to give hard and fast rules. Each case needs to be assessed, you know, by its own merits, by reference to its particular circumstances. So what I can't say to you is that definitively a contractor working for lots of clients will automatically be self-employed for tax and therefore outside our 35. But having said that, it is a, a very relevant factor to take into account. And you may find that taking into account everything in the round, where you've got a contractor who does work for lots of different clients, they may well be more likely to be outside IR35. Um, so the next point is, are there any any other options for contractors? For example, um, an arrangement under an umbrella company? Yeah, an umbrella company is, is something we've, we've sort of seen, a lot of people have been talking about that in the run-up to the, the new rules. The, the basic point is, if a contractor uses what I'm going to call a genuine umbrella arrangement, by that, I mean where the individual is employed by an umbrella company, which he or she does not own. So it's not a PSC for the relevant purposes. And they're paid a salary through PAYE, so all tax is properly accounted for. IR35 is not in point and there shouldn't be any compliance obligation on the, the end user client. But having said that, businesses should take care. There are many very good and very reputable umbrellas out there. But it is true that there are also those that are less reputable and that have historically been engaged in 
aggressive tax avoidance or, or tax avoidance schemes and you only have to look at the revenue website to see that there are and they have been released recently a number of tax avoidance spotlights highlighting umbrella arrangements and the care that should be taken in relation to them so given that part of the purposes behind the new ir35 rules is to promote compliance in labor supply chains and also to place the onus on the ultimate engaging business to do this any business that's proposed to contract with an umbrella company would be well advised to do a level of due diligence on that company before they enter into the engagement just to make sure that everything is what it seems. Thanks Hugh. And so if when businesses look at their current contractors uh, they determine that a long-standing contractor is caught by the legislation, is there a risk that HMRC will investigate and pursue the PSE for backdated tax NICs? First point is that as your question kind of correctly says that there wouldn't for the pre-2021 periods there'd be no risk for the business itself in terms of the PSC the revenue has actually given some quite helpful guidance and it said that it won't use information resulting from the changes to the IR35 rules to look at what's happened historically unless of course there is reason to suspect fraud or criminal behaviour. So does this mean that all contractors who are treated as employees for tax purposes also gain employment rights? No, not at all. This is simply a tax determination. It's worth noting that the intermediary and not the deemed employer would be liable for payment of benefits such as statutory maternity pay or statutory paternity pay, pensions, auto enrolment, etc. in relation to the worker. It's not intended to confer employment rights at all. So should businesses be reviewing the terms of all of their contracts now? So for new contracts, that would be from 6 April 2021, the status should be determined before the contract is entered into or the services are provided under it. For existing contracts, i.e. those prior to April 2021, there must still be a tax status determination before payments made for services post 6 April 2021 are made. It may be better to provide new contracts where possible to show a demarcation of the services, particularly if the status determination statement is that the individual is caught by the off-payroll working rules. That said, HMRC has said that it will not look at prior contracts or arrangements and so will only be focused on what's happening post 6 April 2021. Also, businesses may wish to review contracts to check they have appropriate contractual protection given the shift in liability under the new rules. Hugh, what are your thoughts on that? Because these rules represent a sea change between who bears the liability, it may be the case that existing contracts with contractors or sort of standard form templates aren't actually appropriate in the kind of new IR35 world. So businesses will be well advised to to look at them and just check that all the provisions work. In particular, now that they are liable now that the business may well be liable for any tax from the revenue that's something to consider maybe to include indemnities from contractors or pscs or employment businesses that are being contracted with for ir35 tax liabilities a point to be aware there is not to make them too wide ranging because in certain circumstances the general rule is that any liability for employers nicks should sit with the business and then attempt to pass that on may render the whole thing invalid so care needs to be taken there other contractual provisions to, to consider you know, would be a right to deduct from payment to the PSC if the business considers that IR35 applies so that it can it actually has a legal right to withhold as well as giving the business rights to information where that's needed to help them comply with their IR35 obligations so for example a right to ask you know, information to the extent reasonable about other work that is done by the contractor in question so that 
the business can make its IR35 status determination in knowledge of the full set of facts. Thanks, guys. Um, and then finally, what is the exposure of the end user if HMRC does not agree with the assessment? Yeah, that is no doubt a question that will be you know, near the top of many businesses listed in, under the new world. I mean, the, the general point is that so if the end user has assessed as the contractor is outside R35 and so not operated PAYE, and the revenue disagrees with that, ultimately the end user, the business, may be liable to the revenue for the unpaid PAYE and national insurance. And that means both employee and employer's national insurance. As I've sort of alluded to, in relation to the previous question, the business may be able to recover PAYE and employee national insurance from the PSE or the, con or the contractor, depending on the contractual position. That doesn't change the fact that the basic liability to the revenue will sit with the business if it's the business that pays the PSC. Alongside that, you might also have interest on unpaid tax, plus the possibility of tax penalties. That will depend on, you know, in particular, on whether reasonable care was taken in making the original assessments. All the points about CES that we've made before are highly relevant there. And there's also you know, the general cost, stress and administrative hassle of having to deal with a revenue investigation. All of that sort of, together, you can see, militates very much in favour of you know, taking as much care as possible and ensuring to the extent you can that you get everything right. Great. Thanks, Emma and Hugh. That was all very interesting. I would like to add to our listeners that we're aware that we have not been able to cover off all aspects of IL35. It is a, a, a large issue. I mean, in particular, how to complete the assessment itself. And in light of that, if you would like some more information or you've got any particular questions or comments or anything that we haven't covered today, uh, please do contact either myself or Hugh or Emma um, and we'll be more than happy to help and assist as we can. Thanks very much for listening. This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. <laughs>